We are in a series called the DNA of Relationships. Say that with me. DNA of Relationships. What makes them up? What are they all about? And what we did last week, if you missed it, you can go back and watch, uh, watch the video of it. But we, we actually went to the very beginning where God created us and relationships. We looked at the book of Genesis and in that we found three great truths and I want to remind you of those. The first great truth that we found um, about relationships is that we were made for relationships. Everybody say amen. Yeah. You can do better than that. Say amen. Yeah. We were made. In fact it was Jesus, God himself who looked at Adam and said everything else I've done is awesome and good but this I've done is not good. It's not good that you be alone. So God himself created relationships for Adam, for humanity. God in creating Eve from Adam understood and caused them to procreate that if there would be there would be in in life there would be these massive amounts of people and that those massive amounts of the people would have to learn to engage with each other properly we were made for relationships it brings us to the second great truth from last week and that we saw in the book of Genesis at the beginning of humanity and that is the second truth is that you were made with the ability to choose you can choose. Adam and Eve were given choice abilities. They could have taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or not eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had the ability to choose. This is beautiful. This is powerful. It's what separates us from everything else. We have the ability to choose. God gave it to us. He could have given, taken that ability away from us or never given it to us. If he had never given it to us, then we would have been simply robots. We have the ability to choose. We have free will. And the reason why that's so important, because number one, you were made for relationships. Number two, you have the ability to choose the health or not health in relationships. You can make choices that will bring health. You can make choices that bring destruction. You, can, you, get, you are not a victim. You can make choices because God gave you the ability to choose. Are you with me? Say yes. And here's the third great truth that we learned from last week. And that is in the book of Genesis as we study. And that is you were made to take responsibility for yourself. Way about yourself. <laughs> That you have the ability to take responsibility for yourself. When Adam and Eve began to blame someone else for the lack of responsibility that they took in that moment, I believe it's one of the reasons why the punishment was so great. It's because not only did you disobey me, but you refused to take responsibility for yourself to which I have given you the ability and made you to take responsibility for yourself. Each and every one of us have to grow up out of our baby, out of our baby status and out of our little childhood status and begin to be men and women of valor who take responsibility for ourselves. It's not everybody else's fault. You have a part to play in it. Take responsibility. And it was with that that we began to just dive deeper into the fact that God not only made us for relationships, gave us the ability to make choices, but also asked us and made us to take responsibility. So as we dive into this a little bit more, I want you to take responsibility. I want you to start making better choices. And so with that being said, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and look at Jesus' engagement in verse 36 of Matthew 22. Jesus is approached by some of the teachers of the law. And, um, and they ask him this question. Teacher, verse 36, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. 
Like just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You got to understand that they had identified 613 different laws. 613 different commandments, excuse me, in the law. So they come to him, almost trying to trick him. And uh, some believe that the guy who asked this question was actually pure in heart. But asked, which of all of these 613, what's the most important? Can you put it in a value system for me? One, two, three. Because I know I can't be obedient to all of them. I'm going to mess some of them up. And Jesus said, let me summarize all 613. Love God with everything you got. And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Last week we looked at this diagram that Dr. Smalley put together, which I thought was brilliant. In fact, the relationships that we, that we were made for, if you put it up on the screen, we were made to have a relationship with others. We were made to have a relationship with God. And we were made to have a relationship with ourselves. And actually learning to be healthy. See, when you're not healthy in your core identity then it affects the relationships with others and it affects your relationship with God. Whether you believe in God or not, you are created to have a relationship with the one who made you. And so when you don't have a relationship or a healthy relationship with your God, it begins to affect your relationship with others as well as affect your relationship with yourself. You have this deep insecurity working because you know at the end of the day, built inside of you, there's a homing device that knows at the end of the day, the one who created you wants a relationship with you and the more you reject that and push that away, the more further and further and further you get away from the God who loves you and you know that there'll be punishment for that at some day because there's separation because he's going to give you what you wanted you didn't want a relationship with me at the end of it all at the end of life I'm going to completely give you what you wanted separation and darkness and wickedness and I'm going to give you the ones that you wanted to follow the things of this world the wickedness the demo demonic forces that were pushing all the buttons I'm going to let you them have you for the rest of eternity because that's what you wanted and God shows us very clearly in this passage with Jesus that there are two, of the three that were listening here Jesus lays out the two most important a relationship with God and a relationship with others we were made for relationships the problem with relationships is they are hard they are hard relationships are so hard and I believe that in this room and all those who are listening by way of online I believe each and every one of us want good relationships I don't think any of you wake up and say I can't wait to destroy somebody today I just can't wait to have conflict at work. I'm driving to work and I hope I can nail a couple folks in the back of their truck and push them into the wall. That would be awesome. I know you feel that way sometimes. But I don't believe you wake up that as your life goal. Relationships are so difficult and I can really prove it to you statistically. Even now to date, Christian marriages has a 50% divorce rate. In Christian marriages. The, that person, that when you first saw something inside of you went, ooh, oh, whoa, man. I mean, like, this is the one. That thing that caused you, that love that you had for them, that caused you to want to give them everything you've got, every part of who you are, only two years later end in divorce that is proof how difficult relationships are because if that would be one of your number one relationships a marriage relationship how much more difficult are work relationships that you don't love like I didn't get to pick you I got stuck with you I hired on here and had no idea you were going to be my supervisor I had no idea that they would move me over here to this department and I thought I was getting a raise but what I got is a bunch of mess dealing with these knotheads now I got to pick who I wanted to marry 
and I chose that, and those end in 50% divorce, how much more difficult are these relationships that I inherited just because I need a job? Or even better, how much harder is even the church relationships? I, people all the time tell me, I love God, I just can't stand church. What they're talking about is, I do love God because I don't have to see him every day. I can put him out of my mind. But when I go to church, I'm reminded that that guy's a jerk and that person called me out on the way I was acting and that person right there seems to not like me that much. And so that's why they say, because relationships are, but can I tell you something? You can't love God without loving his church. I know you may not like that, but that's true because we are his expression on the earth. We are his sons and daughters. And so as a result of all of these difficulties, it was important to me and to our leadership that we dive into how to fix and be healthy in relationships. Because at Hill City, if we suck at relationships, we suck as a church. Because we're not trying to impress you with wonderful ministries. We're not trying to overdo all the events and have you just sit there and go, wow, that's awesome. I'm not crying out for your money so I can hire cooler staff and give us more money so we can build bigger buildings. I am doing what the Bible told us to do. And that is that we're supposed to make disciples, which means we have to come into relationship. And relationship is hard and it's difficult. So if we get broken in our relationships, we lose the congregation. We lose our church. And so more than ever before 2020 2021 it was like a grenade was thrown out in the middle of the earth and relationships just exploded everybody went to their own corner they went to their own corner politically they went to their own corner culturally on all their value systems and we said if you're not like me and you don't think like I think then up yours I don't want to have anything to do with you do you take a multi-racial multi-generational church and that thing explodes in the middle of our in the middle of our nation and around the world and it affects us in a real way so I am calling you back in to relationship with your brothers and your sisters. I'm calling you back. You can do it. We can overcome and we just got to be able to identify what is the problem. And so I want to take you there in James chapter 4 and I want to help you see what's killing our relationships. It's going to be real simple and real easy and I believe life altering here and now. James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you. Who is James talking to? The church. The Christians. Why are y'all fighting? What's causing this? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come or don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet. Are they really killing each other? I think he's probably talking metaphorically. You kill each other's hopes and dreams. You kill each other's opportunities. You kill each other, you covet, you want something that's somebody else's, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. This is the early church. This is the pure model. This is thousands of years ago before all the goofiness got all up in all of our doctrine. You fought, quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. He says, starts in verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels? What James is actually doing is he's calling us out on our reactions to the conflicts that we're having. He calls them fights and quarrels. See, we all have a reaction to conflict. And if I could help you with something, conflict is inevitable in any relationship. Years ago, I used to teach the four stages. They're not going to be on the screen. But there are four stages to any relationship. The first stage, the honeymoon stage. Oh, this is awesome. Woo! When you first came to Hill City, this is it. It's home. 
the pastor actually said hello. Wow, they're so nice. Six months into it, I hate you, I hate you. Because we got in conflict. Conflict's inevitable. Honeymoon stage, the next stage after honeymoon stage is conflict stage. And most people quit on relationships in conflict stage. There are two more stages that you never get to because you quit on relationships in conflict stage. If you will embrace that conflict is inevitable, it'll set you free. I walk into every new relationship, oh, I love you so much. I can't wait for conflict. This is going to be a blast. I walk in every relationship that I have knowing that we're going to have conflict at some point. Why? Because it's inevitable. Because two people will not always agree. They cannot. In fact, Billy Graham's wife, I quote her all the time. She said, where two always agree, one is not needed. You're going to, have, you're going to be attracted to someone who is many times opposite of you. Which is going to create conflict. God will send you like to Hill City. Because you are different than maybe this group of people that you begin engaging with. And that's going to create conflict. Because conflict's not bad until you understand conflict is the opportunity to really bond. Because you cannot go to the third stage, which is the bonding stage, until you have conflict. Because what you have is I like you, you like me. And then we get into conflict. Rah! And only when we fight through conflict can we really bond. And now we've got something because we've been through something. The heat, the fire has taken these two different elements and brought them together. And our, 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 our DNA has literally fused together. And now the enemy cannot break that apart. And then the fourth stage, and most churches never get to it, and that's the actual production stage where we are close enough, we've been through some things, and we're now actually producing great things in the earth and changing the world together. And most of the time, marriages fall apart because we don't know how to get into the conflict. We don't even know what's causing the conflict, and so we don't know how to bond through the conflict. We have to get to bonding. Conflict is inevitable, and you and I need to understand it. So he points out what's causing all of these things and he pointed out that we have fights and quarrels and what he's doing he's actually identifying our reactions now what we did today is when you walked in we handed you a little assessment from from the DNA of relationships book by Gary Smiley I know some of you don't like paper and some of our online family they didn't get one handed to them so what we have now is a QR code you can pull out your phone you can scan that and it'll take you to a Google Doc where you can fill this out you can fill this out while I'm talking today you're good at multitasking come on you know you do it all day long. My wife, the, all, every conversation I'm having, she's texting somebody. So I know she's listening to me intently as she's, no, anyway. The point being is I'm used to people halfway listening to, I'm just kidding. Now like, go ahead and scan that QR code and that'll bring that up to that very document that may be in some of your hands now, those of you that are online. And it's a little assessment to help you identify and it starts with identifying our reactions. Now we all have reactions to conflict. All of us do. And in that, you'll be able to identify what's your type of reaction. Let me just get a quick survey. Be honest. Who in the room, when you're in conflict, you're a yeller? You raise your voice. You yell. Tell the truth. Come on. Let's see. There you go. See? There you go. There you go. All right, yells. How, how about you guys, when you get in a real conflict, you just get super sarcastic. You don't yell, but you make them know that this is the stupidest thing could ever happen. All right? There you go. Sarcastic. Uh, anybody in the room, you just shut down. And you, say, and you say, I'm not saying a word because I'm going to make you pay. You give them the silent treatment, all right? That's your plan? Okay, there you go. Anybody tantrums? Anybody throw things or anything like that? Okay. Yeah, my wife gave me permission to tell the story I'm about to say. I want to clearly communicate that. 
Because in times past, I have not gotten permission and I have just about lost my marriage over these type of moments. But years ago when we were first married, we were newlyweds and we were youth pastors. And we had a big youth camp and there was a lot of pressure on us. And if you've ever worked in a mega church scenario, it's a lot about metrics and less, <laughs> many times it, the, the love of Christ gets lost because we've got so much work to be done. And so we had pulled off these two big camps. There was fights and difficulties and misunderstandings and we pulled it off. We were the new young youth pastors and our senior youth minister was a pastor, had given it the youth ministry to us, but he's still in transition. So there are all these dynamics that were just, just about un, 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 unable to even to hold. And we get back in the office the week and they are picking us apart. You didn't, you didn't cross the T here. And the contract with the camp did this. And so we're having to pay an extra $200 because you didn't pay attention to this. Whatever was happening. And I'll never forget, we're in discussion in the office there at the church. And my wife's got her keys. And next thing I know, she takes the keys, she hauls off and she throws them across the room. Hits the wall. What pow And I look at her. In the name of Jesus. And she tells the story. She says that I grabbed her and said, looked at her and said, let me tell you something. That is flesh. That is not spirit. And we ain't going to have none of that mess up in here, all right? We at the church. What's wrong with you? At least reserve it till we get home or something like that. But she had a moment of conflict and she reacted with the wrath of the keys. And I'm just so glad, grateful that I have quick reactions because they stuck in the sheetrock behind me instead of in my forehead. We all have these responses or reactions is what Dr. Smiley calls them to these moments of conflict that we have. And if you and I can identify, first of all, I've got some reactions that aren't necessarily healthy. See, there are there, um, uh, these are all reactions to something deeper that's happening inside of us. These reactions are proof that something deeper is happening. And going on in that verse 2 of the same chapter of the book of James, it says there are these desires that battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. And Dr. Smiley, I thought better than anything I've ever heard, and this is why I brought his book back to you, The DNA of Relationships, and we're covering here in these sessions, and that is because he identified that you all, each and every one of us react when we want something. I want something. And because I want something, guess what that creates? That creates a fear that I won't get it. If you didn't want it, then you would never have a fear. And if that fear was never there, then you wouldn't have reactions that you are embarrassed about later. So there's this whole cycle. I want, I fear, and therefore I react. So I took about eight of these. You'll see them, some of these in the, little, in the little assessment that we've handed out to you or the, the one that you uh, got the QR code with. And let me just take you through a couple of the I wants, therefore creating I fears. For some of us, we want acceptance. And acceptance I would identify as a want to be warmly received without condition. And because you want to be accepted, guess what that creates? That creates a fear of what? Rejection. Somebody said, I just had this problem with rejection. Well, actually, you have a fear with wanting. Because you're never, you're never mad at someone who rejects you who you could care a flying flip what they thought. You are not worried about somebody in China right now rejecting you. Because you don't know them. You don't know them, you don't care. But it's when you put your heart out there and you, say, you start this online business and you're hoping that people will, will, will buy it and the next thing you know you start getting comments come on somebody this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen and you're like I don't even know you but I hate you <laughs> I don't even know you I want to stab you why? because you wanted everyone to like your product 
like your business, which created a fear that they wouldn't. Are you tracking with me? Okay, here's another one. So that's, that's rejection. How about this next one? Uh, I want companionship. And that is I want deep and intimate relationships. I want companionship. So you come to church, you want companionship, you're here four or five weeks and nobody says hey to you. Why do you think I try to keep kicking you in the backside to say, come on, get up. I, every one of my little guys that get up here, all of our little ministers and pastors say, all right, you know, we're going to say a blessing over everything. He wants you to jump up and go find someone and say hello. And you're like, nope. <laughs> if you keep doing that, you'll destroy the movement of this church. Why? Because everyone walks in wanting to be accepted. They just want somebody to say, hey, I acknowledge you're here. And if you put all that pressure on me, there is no way. I ain't smart enough to know every person who walks through the door. And know all of their scenarios. Well, that's what we pay you for. No, you do not. No, you do not. I don't need your money. No, 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 no. I'm a man of God, called by God to, to oversee the workings of this ministry. But the ministry, according to Ephesians, that I possess is to equip you to minister to others. That's my job. My job isn't to do all the ministry. My job is to equip you so you can minister. So I give you moments to actually use your gift to love on people. That's what my job is. I carve that out. I don't do a song and a dance. Everybody look at me. Look how great of a minister. I'm going to lay hands on all of you. I can lay hands on all of you. Prophesy, move in the gifts of God. Supernatural movement. But then you would be bonded to me, not to him, and not to each other. And so then when I make a mistake, you see my humanity and go, uh, he was a fake the whole time. Look. Look, he got mad at Walmart. I saw him in the parking lot. <laughs> you tracking with me? And so they, if I want acceptance, if I want, if, if I want, if I want companionship, then guess what my fear is? Loneliness. And some of you are dealing with this loneliness because you wanted acceptance. If you never wanted acceptance, you would never have a problem fearing being lonely. Are you tracking with me? But we all have these core fears. We all have them. It doesn't make us bad. It makes us human. And what happens is in, in relationships, when I don't recognize you have a core fear of being alone or loneliness, and when I don't understand that and recognize that, then what happens is I don't perceive that, so I don't respond properly to you. So I create that fear, or I push the fear button by not making you feel accepted because I didn't call you and say, hey, we're doing a Super Bowl party. I really want you to hang out with us. But instead, I posted about it, and you didn't get invited to it. And what did I just do? I hit your core fear. So guess what you do? You know, I went to a church where I thought they loved me. But I found that it's like everywhere else, post. It wasn't that you were being a jerk or you were a horrible person. It wasn't that they were a horrible person. They simply missed your need your fear of being lonely, they just missed it. Doesn't mean they hate you. And so what that created was this engagement of conflict. And that conflict had reactions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something. And when you don't get it, you kill, you covet. You do all this stuff because of wants inside of you. How about this next one? I want success. Success, I want to achieve or I want to accomplish something. So guess what your fear is? Failure. failure. I had a great fear of failure early on in ministry. I wanted the largest ministry in the world. And so I strived. I mean, I was striving constantly. Out doing, running around, showing up at everybody's houses. Uh, everybody in my phone, calling them, texting them. All these young adults, man, just making revival in the earth. Until one day I looked up 
and I was burned out and I didn't love God anymore and I didn't really love them. This was just a striving to outdo the other churches and the other youth ministries in the nation. And God set me free and he healed me. This is a place of healing for some of you. It's not bad to want to be successful in something. But when you desire success, guess what it creates in you? A fear of failure. Here's the next one I would point attention to. And that is if you want to be trust or you want trust. Which is I want to have faith in others. Guess what your great fear is? Mistrust. Feeling of doubt or suspect. We see this a lot in counseling. You've got a guy and a gal who, uh, who dated or went out for a long time. And in the midst of that, especially if they weren't serving God, they cheated on each other, they ran off with other people, and then they got back and they fought it all out. And then they come to Hill City and they want to get right with God. And then they look around and go, we can't keep sleeping together and living together. We need to do it right by God, so let's get married. So the pastors will meet, take you through premarital counseling, and get married, it's wonderful. But guess what you got? You got this fear that he's done that multiple times. She's done that multiple times. I've been with them a while. And I know that God's supposed to be in the middle of this now. But I have a fear that they can't be trusted. And so the moment that he comes home late from work. Or the moment that, uh, that he, you find out he's got a different Facebook account than the main one. It hits all of that fear. And he on the other hand didn't do anything to protect you from your own fear. And so what we've got is conflict. And then we've got reactions. And we've got actions that are killing and coveting and difficulties. How about this next one? That is, uh, I want respect. I want to be admired and esteemed. And so guess what your core fear is going to be? Being disrespected. Being disrespected. I find this a lot with our older leaders. Like, I've been here. I paid the price. And you're not going to treat me like that. You just disrespect me or I felt disrespected. And that other person was like, I wasn't trying to disrespect you. I was just trying to move you along. Well, and then how we have these reactions. Boom, 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 this conflict. See, family of God, if we don't get good at this, we will continue to split, break, destroy, conflict after conflict. This is why we have so many different denominations. This is why we have so many difficulties in churches. This is why we've got so many people who, especially in the Metroplex, will bounce from church to church to church to church because they never fight through the conflict to really bond. Anybody that's at Hill City for any length of time, they have walked through conflict and bonded and said, you know what? I love Jesus. I know Pastor Adam's an idiot sometimes. I know so-and-so's a dummy. I know some, but I know that God is good and we figured this thing out. And sometimes I know I hit their core fears and they hit my core fears, but Jesus is Lord and I'm going to keep loving no matter what. I'm going to fight this thing through. I'm going to learn how to overcome these core fears so that we can be together. Are you with me? Say yes. To be together, you got to be able to identify your core fears and be able to walk through them. Are you still there say yes here's the next one that I would teach you, and that is many of you want safety I want to feel protected and secure and therefore as a result guess what you're going to fear you're going to fear danger stranger danger you're going to fear it um, when my wife and I uh, were first going out uh, you know I had my little 1976 Toyota Corolla five speed so I was showing off one night, took her out to eat, and 
road was a little slick. I pull out onto this boulevard. And so I got it in first and I just dumped the clutch and I come out sideways. And she starts hyperventilating and starts um, losing her mind. What are you doing? Stop! Stop! And I'm looking at her like, this is awesome. Oh, I'm coming through the thing. I'm coming sideways and I'm whipped, uh, whipping it back. And, I, and, and literally, as soon as we got, to, I, she was going to get out of the car. I was like, I'm done. I will never date you again. You are Satan. And I was like, what? Like, I'm being cool, girlfriend. All my other girls were like, go ahead, boy. You're the man. I'm like, yes, I am. But she wasn't having it. Do you know why she wasn't having it? Because two or three years earlier, her and a group of friends were in a car. She was in the front seat, the only one buckled in. And the driver of that car, her really good friend, started being silly and started swerving back and forth. New driver, didn't realize, kids all in the back. That car went sideways, flipped it side to side to side. Paralyzed a couple kids in the back. When Jamie came to, she was the only one conscious. Got out of the car, started running down the boulevard trying to find help, thinking that all her friends are dead. So when her new boyfriend, the assistant youth pastor at his church, <laughs> is whipping it sideways, she wasn't having it. I had hit her core fear. I had taken safety away from her and made her feel very vulnerable and made her feel in danger. It created conflict. We almost lost a relationship over it. Thank God she knew how to use her words. And say, can we talk? This is the problem. Most of us never overcome these conflicts because we disobey the word of God. The Bible says if your brother offends you, Matthew 18, go to them. Go to them and say, that hurt me. That, that confused me. When you threw that thing out in the parking lot, I don't know what to do about that. And, and when you did that, it hit something inside of me that made me want to run away or punch you in the face or whatever it may be. It did that. And so whether I'm right or wrong, I'm just telling you what it did. And then that brother or sister should respond as a brother and sister in Christ. I am so sorry. That's, that was not my intention. Would you forgive me? I, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And if they don't, the Bible says, and that thing still continues. You grab somebody else and you go to them and you say, brothers, brother, we, we, we're not gossiping about you. But, but, but I needed some support. They see it too. You keep doing this and it's creating such issue for us. This is what the Word of God teaches. Or if you're in the middle of worshiping, you're so good, God, and you realize, oh, I just was rude to the cafe little girl back there who's volunteering. Don't get paid nothing. I just was a jerk because I ain't like the, the latte that she made me. Lord, I'll be right back. And the Bible says, then go to your brother. So I'm so sorry. I think I blew that. Because we don't do that. So don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on the church. Blame it on you being dysfunctional. Because that's the truth. We don't know how to obey the word of God. And so we've got these fights and these quarrels and all these things happening. All because we don't recognize that we have core fears. And when those core fears get hit by someone else, accidentally, on purpose, whatever it may be, we react. Whatever our reaction style is, I just ain't going to show up no more. I'll show them. I'm just not going to show up. Uh, the other day, um, I was in a conflict situation. Um, I had done something that I thought was very positive. And, uh, and another leader came to me and said that was bad. It my first thought in my mind was like, man, forget you. Do you know how much I'm doing for you? Like it ain't worth the effort. If you're going to misunderstand me here and pick this apart, that was my first one. Because they hit what? A core fear. What was my core fear? Of being misunderstood. 
being misappropriated when my heart was pure and something. But because I've been through this enough, I've got a little bit, just a little bit of wisdom. I'm not quite there, but I got a little bit. And so I stopped and I said, let me ask you something. When I did that, what, how did that make you feel? And they began to share with me. And all it was was I hit their core fear. I really didn't do anything wrong. But I hit a core fear that they had of being disrespected. They misunderstood my motive, my action. And I then went, I am so sorry. I would never do anything to disrespect you. I thought I was actually showing you honor by saying that. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, because of this. And they went, oh, you're the greatest. I'm like, I know, you're the greatest. Healed. Not because I'm so smart or so spiritual, just because I've just made a couple steps in the right direction, identifying my own core fears, your own core fears, and that takes time and relationship. You still there? Say yes. How about this? I think we're at like a number seven. If you have a desire for honor, which is I want to feel priceless. I want to feel like that, so, that, that I'm valuable. Then guess what you're going to fear? You're going to fear being dishonored. Or if you have a desire for joy, I, look, I want to I feel satisfied and happy in this marriage, in this church, in this small group. Then guess what you're going to fear? You're going to fear unhappiness. You're going to feel like, man, this is just boring. And, and, and I feel like that's happening right now. And so these fears pop up and they begin to dominate. If I truly love my neighbor as myself, then there are two actions that we are to take. If I truly love my neighbor as myself, here's the two actions. Write these down. Number one, I will empathize with their core fear. If I truly love my neighbor... I will empathize. I didn't look at my wife and go, you just need to get over it. I mean, I'm going to have fun in the car. And I'm not like that dummy who did that to you before or whatever. I, I could have taken that road of arrogance. But instead, I humble myself and I empathize. And I said, I am so sorry. I'll try never to drive like that again. And I broke that time and time again. <laughs> And she had so much grace and mercy on me. And, uh, and even now, I mean, even the other day, she was like, there's a car right there. There's a car right there. I was like, and I looked at her. I was like, you're hitting my core fear that I'm not in control. Okay, I see the car and we're okay. And she goes, well, then you need to, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And we were able to overcome it in a split second. You and I, need to first and foremost, if we really love them as much, Jesus told us, love them as much as you love yourself. How do you want to be loved? I want to be, I want people to fight to try to at least understand my motive instead of prejudging me. Don't you? Then we need to fight to try to understand. Maybe he didn't mean it. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Empathize a little bit that, you know what? And, and so you'll see people here all the time, people will tell me, how come you let so-and-so do that? you know they're in charge of that and they are uh, they don't have it all together and then I'll start saying well I don't think you know their story I'll start telling their story and they're like oh that's the greatest right because you were standing in judgment and you didn't know what created what they are and the difficulty the fact that they're even standing there on stage with a microphone is such a miracle it's such a miracle empathize with their core fear. Here's the second thing that you and I truly need to do if we're going to love them as much as we love ourselves, and that is help them overcome. So what I did with Jamie with this danger thing in cars is I began to drive safer. I began to point out, hey, you know, God didn't make us that way, by the way. There are going to be moments where you'll start having PTSD if you don't overcome this. And so God didn't give this to you. It's not from the Lord. It's from the enemy. 
No fear should overtake you. We'll study that when we come back next week. That God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So who gave us the fears that we have? They didn't come from him. And so you and I identifying our fears, that was the goal with today, was simply identify them, understand that they're the result of wanting something. Because I want you to like me, I fear that you won't. If I didn't care whether you like me a little bit, not even a little bit, then I wouldn't have this fear. But I, we should want people to like us. That's not a bad thing. But recognizing that that will create a fear. And then what are my responses when I feel like they don't like me? And being able to take control over those. When we come back next week, we'll actually empower you. I just need you to understand. Some of you sitting here going, ah, conflict. I just think if we prayed more, hallelujah, and read the word of God more. We wouldn't have conflict, praise the Lord, Pastor. I don't even understand what this, this is some kind of psycho babble stuff. Whoa, 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 let me just bring you to Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. This is Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had done a missionary journey where they literally planted churches and changed the world. They decide they're going to go back on a second one in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back. Now, Paul wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. Barnabas, the guy who brought Paul into the fold because no one believed he was the real deal. Barnabas uh, and Paul, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, or we call him John Mark, with them. Verse 38, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39, I love how the Bible is so gracious sometimes. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Let's deconstruct that sentence for just a second. They had a sharp disagreement. I love how sweet the Bible is. Some of you have had many sharp disagreements late in the evening at your home. They had a sharp disagreement. Can I translate that into McCain family values? They had a knockdown drag out is what they had. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because the next line says that they departed ways. They split the ministry. No, sir. I'm not working with you. No, sir. All over John Mark. Now let me explain to you so you can see core fears at work with desires, at work with how they should have handled it better. So these, well, first off, this is the Apostle Paul having crazy conflict with Barnabas, who is by all accounts his best friend. And they are co-ministers in revival. They're not in a dead church. They are revivalists. They're going out, winning horribly wicked pagan people to Jesus. Revelation is coming. They're transforming then the world all throughout Rome. God is moving in these guys supernaturally. But on their first missionary journey, Barnabas, whose name actually means the son of encouragement. Now Barnabas, there was a moment when after Paul had gotten saved that the Jerusalem church and all the Christians did not believe that Paul was the real deal. They thought that he was faking Christianity so that he could get up as a spy in their midst to figure out who all their top leaders were so he could have them in prison because he had gone around imprisoning Christians, to lying on them, cheating on them, and even having some of them killed. And so he supposedly had this conversion, but the rest of the church was like, I wasn't there, I don't know 
nothing about. Barnabas, on the other hand, stood up and said, it's the real deal. He's the real deal. On my name, let's accept him into the phone. Let's let him into the private backroom prayer meetings. Because if they know we're happening, they're going to come kill us all. He can be accepted into our deep private uh, engagements. He is the real deal. Barnabas had grabbed Paul early on and brought him into the fold when no one else believed in him. So this is who Barnabas is. They, years later, they do this missionary journey and they bring John Mark, who some believe is a nephew of Barnabas or a cousin or something like that. So they bring John Mark. John Mark obviously is a young man. And when they get in the middle of this thing, it is crazy persecution, crazy difficulty. Now you got to understand who the apostle Paul is and his nature. In fact, let's read a little bit about his nature in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times... I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You remember the Passion of the Christ when they take that thing and they, and they beat Jesus and they shred his back? Paul said, I've had that happen five times. Most men don't survive it one time. Paul's had it happen five times. Three times I, were, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul is Bear grills. Bring it on, baby. Let's go. Barnabas says, bro, let's believe in this dude to come with us. And after John Mark had abandoned them, and probably what happened on the first mission, they were under persecution. And little John was like, oh, I'm going home to mom. And he takes off. So now they're going to do a second missionary journey. They're going to go back and visit all those places where they had birth churches. And, and, and Barnabas is like, hey, dude, we need to bring John Mark. Paul's like, have you lost your mind? That dude's a sissy. He almost got us killed last time. And I'm not putting my life in danger for that little guy. He, he, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He doesn't know what he wants. And he hasn't fully committed to the lordship of Christ where he's willing to lay down his life for the gospel. The moment that he got scared, fear, of losing his life, he abandoned us. No, sir, that's never going to happen. And Barnabas is like, let me tell you something, Paul. This is Adam Cain version. Let me tell you something, Paul. I remember a time when no one believed in you, bro. Everyone thought you were fake. And I stood for you. And had I not stood for you, bro, you wouldn't even be here today. And this young guy, if he doesn't get back on the saddle, if he doesn't get back in the saddle, he will be a failure We've got to give him another chance. Bro, if we, give, if we take him with us and he gets sick because he doesn't have any faith to believe against, against COVID-19 and we take him out there doing missionary work and he dies on us, his mama's going to hate me because he don't have enough faith to believe beyond the little difficulties. And this is a big deal. We can't, he's too young. He's too green. He can't come be with us. Yes, he has to come. Ba, 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 ba. You know what, bro? It ain't worth it. You can take him if you want. And I'll take Silas and we'll go, we'll go our own way. And, and you can do what you want to do and I'm going to do what I want to do. I just am trying to point out to you that conflict is inevitable in any relationship.
So this falsehood of thinking, you know, that a whole new world. I go to Hill City and it's amazing. And I went to a small group and then they made me mad. I don't understand. It must be Satan telling me. It must be the Lord telling me not to be here anymore, friend. Conflict is worth going through. If you have any desire to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Which is what we were commanded to do. And so Barnabas and Paul go their separate ways. Which God actually uses. And then they come back together. And at some point they repent to one another. At some point they come back together. And they get it right. Conflict is not bad. It's good if you're ever going to have bonding. So instead of being mad that you have conflict. Or misunderstandings in your marriage. Or in your friendship group. Or with your neighbors down the road. Or in your small group. Or in the church. How about instead we go. You know what? Conflict's inevitable. And I recognize that I have some fears. And I bet you have some fears. So I'm going to empathize with you. And, what, and try to help figure out what are the fears. That I'm somehow pushing. What was Barnabas' fear? That we're going to abandon people who need our help. What was Paul's fear? It was very obvious. That we're going to get out there and we're going to fail because of this guy. Because Paul's driven. He's success oriented. Barnabas is relationship oriented. The two needed to be together for the miracles that God wanted to do. But at the same time, because they're wired certain ways, it created conflict. But we're better together. Amen? We're better together. Conflict's inevitable. And what we see in this beautiful passage is as they begin to come together, God expands the movement of his presence around the world. It's all about you and I not splitting up, understanding that we have differences of the way we, what we want, having different core fears, and embracing those for one another, empathizing with one another, and then helping each other overcome. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand quickly across the room?